2: 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
0: Welcome to She Pivots, the podcast where we talk with women who dared to pivot out of one career and into something new and explore how their personal lives impacted these decisions. I'm your host, Emily Tish Sussman. For today's episode, I'm so excited to feature Gina Rosario ahead of Pride Month and on the day after the release of her debut book, Horse Barbie. Gina is a model, trans activist, producer, and now author. Her story is Full of pivots, growing up in the Philippines, Gina was a trans beauty pageant star who later moved to America to pursue her dream of being legally recognized as female. Eventually, she became a model in New York City, but went back into the closet. Her pivot into what she calls, quote, freedom happened in 2014 on the TED Talk stage, where she decided to come out publicly as transgender. Since then, Gina has been a staunch advocate for trans rights. She is doing powerful work with her company, Gender Proud, which highlights the stories and experiences of her community. So I saw a TED Talk that you gave in 2014. We're going to get back to that TED Talk, but you showed this really adorable picture of yourself as a five-year-old. I think probably five in that uh-huh, picture, right? Yeah. What did you think you were going to be when you grew up, when you think about yourself in that picture? And I dis-
3: distinctly remember this in, in school, at school, that we would say, oh, I want to be like, you know, a fireman or a pilot. And I did say all those things, right? And part of that is the truth, because like, that's what I that was expected of me. But I know deep down that there's something so effeminate about who I am, almost like I, I was having these deeper conversations in inside my head that I want to be a girl that I am, that I felt that the world was telling me otherwise, but I knew deep inside that I'm a girl. So that's, I
0: wanted to be, I wanted to be a girl. Gina grew up in the Philippines. And like so many of us with big aspirations, it was hard for her to imagine these far off dreams would one day become a reality for her. So I, I lived in a very tiny neighborhood where
3: everybody know each other. I lived in a tiny little alley where I grew up but also because I was so feminine and the way I walk, I became a target, right? So in a way, just knowing, you know, that my expression about my femininity, about who I am as a target has become something where people disagreed with, but also because of that feminine spirit, the feminine walk, the feminine, what we call it, kembot, you know, which is like this feminine sway that I do. It was almost like a performance. So I knew there's some some sense of that I wanted to perform growing up. I even remember like I would get paid, you know, paid meaning tips, you know, by my cousins and, and my aunties that as long as I, I perform, whether it's like a hula dance or like um, anything like a feminine performance, you know, I would almost be encouraged to do it, to do that. So in a way, at that young age, I knew
0: I want to perform. I want to be at some form of performance. It didn't take her long before she turned performing for her aunties to performing on one of the biggest stages in the Philippines. I actually started joining pageants in the
3: Philippines, trans beauty pageants. And um, I was 15 when I started joining pageants. And I did that for about two and a half years of my life and became... The most famous trans pageant diva in the Philippines, winning every single pageant that you could think of. Yeah. And I thought that was my life. I thought, you know, because I was making money, I was traveling Philippines all over. I was having the best time. I was with my chosen family. I was the one in in our community. And I thought that was the trajectory of my life. And I would just continue doing that. But then my trans mother named Tiger Lily, she, at the time we have this uh, person in our community named Tula. She's a model. Her name is Caroline Cosi. Her stage name is Tula. And she was this famous trans model in the 80s, in the early 80s, late 80s, that was so successful until she got outed by the media, by tabloids. And when she got outed, her career disappeared. So my trans mother, Tiger Lily, showed me clippings of her pictures or a newspaper and kind of like shared with me, like, look, look at Tula. She did this. So in a way, she inspired me to be like her. I wanted to be a model, but I didn't know how to. Like, how do you become a model? And from Philippines to New York City, how are you, how am I going to do that? You know, nobody in my immediate community, friends adjacent to me has done that. So it was just this sort of like first inclination
0: of that dream that I wanted to do. Again, Gina seemed to stop herself short of dreaming too big. New York City seemed so distant at the time. And she was the darling of Filipino beauty pageants. And being the star was no small feat. The Philippines is famous for their trans beauty pageants.
3: Philippines, we've had a long history of transgender beauty pageants. It's actually our informal sports. I mean, it's systemic in our culture. Imagine American Basketball League, right? There's different basketball leagues all over America. It's the same kind of system in the in the Philippines when it comes to trans pageants. Because Philippines was a colony of Spain for 233 years, Catholicism is, is very much, you know, our belief system. We've had a long history of trans people and gender non-conforming people as part of our society, right? We, trans people pre-colonial in the Philippines are the spiritual healers. We are the advisors to our, you know, leaders. This is just part of our, this unique cultural amalgamation of forces of our pre-colonial identity, the product of colonization. We were also an American colony for 50 years. So the pageant was actually introduced, you know, when Americans came to the Philippines. So all of that, right? And then when I was 15 years old, I met a woman named Tiger Lily, who saw me and met me. And she's a friend of a friend that I was introduced to her. And she was like, you know, you're joining this pageant tonight. You know, there's something Mm. about you. She made me try on this outfit and I tried it on and she liked what she saw. But I I think she saw the confidence in me. I joined my very first pageant when I met her. And I ended up winning second runner up, best in swimsuit and best in long gown. Mm. And that was it for me. I was thrust into this like competition world, beauty pageant world. And I, I reached the top at such a young age
0: and I gave it my all. So you were incredibly famous in the Philippines for most of your teenage years. Mm -hmm. What was that like? It felt
3: good. (laughs) I mean, I was a pageant diva and, and for two and a half years, I was living that life, you know, I was traveling around the world. We had followers, we had pageant fans. And this is, I mean, we would join pageants all over the Philippines from, I lived in the city in Makati in Metro Manila. And we would travel to pageants in mountain areas, like 12 hours on a bus next to a rice field pageant, right? To a pageant all the way up north to the Philippines, where there is barely anybody, anybody that lives there. And people would know us. It's the whisper and the name. It's like, there's a new girl in town. Have you seen my stage name I said, at the time? It's called Asunta de Rossi, which is basically a celebrity that you have to impersonate. But they know me as Gina. It's like, Gina's coming to town. But I became so famous and also my group of my entourage that I would go and you know, I would arrive at these pageants and they would protest. Do not let me compete because
0: it was almost like a shoe in She dominated and had found a life in a community who accepted and celebrated her. But there was always that dream of New York City in the back of her mind. So when I was 17, we were coming from
3: a pageant. uh, We were joining a pageant. We were at the back of the bus doing, you know, one lane switchback on the mountain road, right? It was 4 a.m. Purple lit. Purple, come on. Purple, it Buzz, right? And I remember getting a phone call from my mom and she had moved to America five years prior that. You know, moved here, obviously, to give us a better life. Her side of the family has been here. And she called me and she said, your green card petition came through. You could now move to America to be with me. I remember that as sort of like a before and after moment because I knew that two and a half years of this life that I've been living, the sisterhood, the trans motherhood relationship with me and Tiger Lily and my whole trans pageant family is, that's done. However, even at that time, I didn't think I would be moving to America right away because at the time, the trajectory of a life of a trans pageant queen in the Philippines, you normally move to Japan because in Japan, you trans women who perform in pageants, they become performers and they work there. Right. So I thought that was where I was going to move to Japan. I was heading there. The paperwork's are being, you know, taken care of, but then my mom called me and she told me, but you know, if you move to America in California, specifically, you could be legally recognized as a woman in your documents, both so you could change your name and your gender marker on your legal documents. The moment she said that, that, sort of vision of moving to Japan was like, forget that. I am moving to America. And it's in that sense where to be legally recognized in your document with my name that I want, that, that represents and that reflects who I am and the gender that reflects who I am was the ultimate dream. Because to this day in the Philippines, you still can't change name and gender marker on your legal documents. I like to always say that in the Philippines, trans people are culturally visible, but we're not politically recognized. There are no rights for trans people. We're not recognized, legally recognized. You know, there are no comprehensive anti-discrimination protections. But when I moved to California in America in 2001, it was the other way around, right? It was politically recognized. I was able to change my name and gender marker some medical, legal protections at the time, obviously the context of what we have now, but there was no cultural mainstream vis- visibility of trans people,
0: right? So I experienced the reverse. So It was a culture shock for me when I was 17 to move here. She moved to California to live with her mom, but with just a high school education and after years as a trans pageant star, she needed to find a job. I needed to get a job because there was no trans beauty pageant. She eventually found a job at the Macy's makeup counter. It might seem like a natural fit for Gina after her pageant days, but actually, back in the Philippines, everything was done for her—her her hair, her makeup. So she needed to learn from scratch. And when I started working
3: there, almost every makeup counter there's a trans Filipina working there. So in a way, I found my own community of from pageant. It's I I thought it was like pageant adjacent. So I felt like this immediate community that I found in, in Macy's Cosmetics.
0: While living in the U.S., Gina discovered the long and arduous process that it took to change her gender marker. So
3: when I moved here, having a green card, I was only allowed to change my name and gender marker on my legal documents when I got here, after I applied
0: on court to filing of change of name. But there was one catch. Back in the early 2000s, in order to change your gender marker, you first needed to have surgery. No, I've been thinking about surgery for, I mean, this is, it's my decision,
3: you know, to wanted to have that surgery. Not everybody, you know, wanted to have that decision. But for me, I knew it was, it was a part of my journey that, that I knew it would make me feel whole. It would make me feel connected for myself. So I did that. I had the surgery,
0: got the gender marker done. I felt good. I think for many people, without having read your book, and I'm sure everyone will read it after this conversation, but would have maybe thought of that as your pivot point, but that feels more like alignment for you. Alignment word makes sense that I feel connected to
3: that because I've always known that I wanted to do that. It, the pivot is definitely to be recognized as I am on my legal documents, on my paperwork, right? And once all of that was aligned, I was like, okay, what else can I do? Yeah. You know, what else? This was also 2005 America. You know, I mean, the first trans representation that I saw on national television was trans women on the Jerry Springer show. Are you really getting serious? You know, I love you a
1: lot. But the fact of the matter is, I'm really a man. You know that song by Whitney Houston, I'm Every Woman?
2: Right.
1: Um, Well, I'm really not.
3: You could imagine what that was, which is shame, ridicule. You're seen as sort of, it's a circus imprinted that shame in me. That was the beginning of, oh, this country that promised me legal recognition can't give me the validation of my identity fully as I am, right? I couldn't really be myself in public as fully myself, or at least definitely in the media representation that I saw. So that was the beginning of, oh, now... It's this, again, complicated thing of I was out and proud in Asia, had to go back to the closet in America, where for so long it was promised to me that this is a country that would give me freedom, particularly as a trans woman. She and her mother flew
0: to Thailand, where some of the best gender-affirming surgeons practice. With her surgery done and paperwork filed, Gina finally got the gender marker she had dreamed of since she was a child. That dream of wanting
3: to be like Tula, the way that, you know, it was presented to me when, you know by my trans mother sort of surfaced again, that I wanted, I really wanted to perform. I wanted to be a model like Tula. So I said, okay, I'm going to move to New York City. If I really wanted to do this, I need to move to New York City to be a model. So when I moved to New York in 2005 as a fashion model, I wanted to pursue that dream. But I had to make a decision to not share my trans identity, both in the fashion industry and in my modeling career and anybody I work with. So I had to go stealth again. You know, I didn't technically go back to the closet, but some people, yeah, would, would say that I went back. to I went stealth, right? Meaning, obviously, my family knew, my friends knew. Any immediate outside of people that I trust, which is a handful in New York City, I couldn't share that part of of myself. that. In as much I recognize the degree of privilege, right, to be able to blend in, to be able to be as I am and to model, it's a dual reality that I was living in. And for many, many years, I did that.
2: Her story is a familiar one. moved to New
3: York to pursue a modeling career. In 2005, I made the decision to move to New York City. I didn't know a lot of people in New York, but I just thought that it was a worth it. Another life. Filipina making a splash at New York Fashion Week,
2: a model and trans rights activist Gina Rosero made headlines over the weekend, rocking the runway for American fashion label, Chromat.
0: She moved to New York City, her dream finally realized. But it was mixed with complex emotions and realities. She was working in a purely visual profession, which she was underrepresented in, not only as a trans woman, but as a Filipino woman. I mean, we're having so. I mean, we're having this constant
3: evolution of conversation about representation now as a trans Filipina, sort of going through that layers of first, I can't be outed as a trans woman. Forget about representation of Asian models. And to be honest, like I would go to, you know, a big cosmetic advertising job, right? You would go in a casting and usually if it's a job like that, it's a cattle call. Like there's 800 girls mm-hmm. from all over the world. <laughs> and when you identify the Asian girls working there, I just know which Asian girl that they're going to choose. You know, they're going to choose... At the time, you know, again, this is the context of, you know, what, what the understanding was. They, they're going to choose an East Asian girl. They're not going to choose a dark skin, Southeast Asian girl. So even that, there's all these layers, right? And um, on top of that, you know, I was managing this dual reality that I was living. You know, I have to edit myself. I have to feminize everything. Even honestly, right now, as we're talking right now, I know I have this level of comfort in speaking and just communicating who I am. At that time, and for many, many years, for eight years, I had to always speak in a higher pitch, like, "Hi, Emily. Mm-hmm. how you doing?" Yes, totally, right? <laughs> I know it sounds so silly right now, but that's what I had to do. Call it gender dysphoria, call it all that, but
0: I, it was a survival for me. Gina's experience was fraught with tension. On one hand, it was tearing her apart, but on the other, she felt as if she was experiencing the womanhood she'd always wanted. I was in the business that is all about
3: the power of the imagery that in one part of myself, you know, I feel empowered, you know, because I feel validated. I could model, you know, I was doing a lot of lingerie. I would be in sexy castings. I would be like in billboards of magazines. Right. But when I'm doing those jobs, it's a different reality. Like the paranoia, I was constantly paranoid what the camera could see every single trans model that came before me that have paved the way for me, women like Tula, Carolyn Cosi, Lauren Foster, Tracy African Norman, you know, these women that came before me, they all, when they got outed, their careers disappeared. And usually because of a whisper, and usually because someone said something to somebody with one word, their careers gone. Gone. Forgotten. As if you didn't even exist. One moment, they were considered the most beautiful in catalogs, in advertising. But the moment they found out they were trans, who? What? Forgotten. You know, as I'm having more and more conversation about, obviously, looking back at my book, there's always this through line of like, yes, I've lived this dual reality. Like the the trans women that paved the way for me, they were... Both an inspiration for me, right? Because I wanted to be just like them. But they also were the source of my biggest fear. This is really what I wanted to do. So I have to accept those things. What was your personal life like mm-hmm. during that time? Getting I had friends like Erica, who I'm still dear, dear friends with. And when those tight circle of friends are small, it's deep. You know, it's that kind of she's also trans woman my best friend from California, uh, named Denmark, still my best friend to this day, to have those people and Tiger Lily that I would call all the time and communicate. So to to keep those through line of safety and and love and warmth is the most important relationship that I always have to nurture because outside of that, it was tough. It was it was tough to go on dates, girl. I mean, like, it was this constant negotiation of always having to maneuver and edit and and figure out what kind of feelings do I let go? Is the guy ready? Should I tell these guys? You know, because particularly I was I was going out partying and all that, drinking a lot. You know, I think looking back, you know, I was definitely having fun. But certainly it was my way to like, let me just like not take care of that mm. because it was too It was too scary to reveal my truth to another person, to another guy, particularly. I think at the time, it was very important for me to keep my my trans friends close because no one, no one else could understand truly what I was going through. Even at the time, I knew that there was layers in my friendship, right? It was also... Maybe because of that, because of what I was going through, of the secret they have to keep, I really need to trust people that I know that has depth in who they are. I mean, to be honest, I, I, I didn't even have trans men friends at the time. I didn't. You know, I was, I was very selective, not even like just trans women, trans Filipina particularly. It's because it's a reflection of what I was going through that only them could understand they had to protect my secret. Like I had the secret, but they had to have a secret too.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a good point.
3: I was the living personification of processing my own trauma as I'm going through it, you know, because I was in the very, very visible industry, but I was also consciously being invisible at the same time, all at once, every day, every second from A moment that should have been the high
0: point of my career, I still have to be invisible. For every interview, we do extensive prep both internally and with the guest. And I wanted to share some thoughts and perspectives we got from Gina during our prep call that I think adds to this part of her story.
3: Moving to New York City, right, as a fashion model, which is like a very interesting pivot for me because I was so visible in the Philippines. But when I moved to New York, it's an interesting pivot because. I was also very visible, but also also consciously invisible at the same time, all at once.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: right. That's the beginning of that big tension, high stakes situation every day of my life, right? And then those first inkling of potential pivot or experiences, many things. when I could think of you know the moment where i it was during two thousand and eight, their financial crisis, right? when I sort of lost the modeling career because I mean, this is in hindsight, and it makes sense because the first thing that disappeared are the marketing budgets, right? That was the first time for me to realize, okay, modeling's great, you know, but I have this other interest. Right? I wanted to become an entrepreneur. I wanted to learn about technology, and um, yeah, I walked in at seven World Trade Center with no appointment and got myself a job at Inc. Magazine. I think those two, I mean, so many things uh, I did my going to Burning Man, doing my psychedelics for the very first time at Burning Man was the first inclination of, oh, wow, there are there is a community that could love me and accept me. You know, those are the first seedlings of that.
0: After her transformative experience at Burning Man, everything came to a head when she got sick. But one that was really the breaking
3: point, I got sick. I mean, I look back now, I was definitely a functioning depressed person. When I'm by myself, it was the darkest moments because like, when am I ever going to be allowed to be who I am? I had debilitating physical manifestation of eczema from a stress of always having to figure out, am I going to come out? When am I going to come out? All of those things, it got to the point that it was all over my body. It was in my scalp. Like, it was so bad. But later on, I realized it was the manifestation of that truth. Like the truth was literally coming out of my body. And after realizing that, I, I was just, I just said that, that if I'm going to risk this career, considering all the things that had happened to every single trans woman that came before me, that I wanted to do it in the biggest stage and the biggest possible platform that I could think of. Let's just go big or go home. And Thank God, a friend, Cameron Sinclair, who knows people at TED, had spoken at TED, shared my story. And next thing I knew, the TED curator is like, we want to hear your story. And a few months later, I'm on that TED stage giving my very first public speech. For the last nine years, Some of my neighbors, some of my friends, colleagues, even my agent did not know about my history. I think in mystery, this is called a reveal. Today, this very moment is my real coming out. I could no longer live my truth for and by myself. I want to do my best to help others live their truth without shame and terror. I am here, exposed. I remember seeing that email come through with that headline, with that subject, you're invited, official invitation, TED speaker, 2014, I was, I was losing my mind. I can't believe this is really happening. That sense of purpose was so much bigger than my fear all of a sudden. It was almost like nobody could
0: stop me. Gina had kept her secret for so many years at this point, That leading up to her TED Talk, it was hard for her to gauge how people would react. And actually, she came out to a group that I'm in with her first. I remember when it happened, but I had no idea at the time that this group was the trial balloon and that her TED Talk would go viral. After she told our small group, she left it there. And still some of the closest people in her life didn't know. So in... In the trajectory and
3: the excitement of doing a TED talk, I was preparing. Okay, I'm gonna give a TED talk. This is the big one. I mean, this is the big TED talk. This is high stakes, a big reveal, a personal story, all of that. But in the moment of doing and preparation with all that, I realized I haven't told my agent that I'm coming out on the TED stage.
0: Oh my God.
3: So I was And did
0: your agent know that you were
3: trans? You are trans.
0: Your agent didn't even know. Didn't
3: even know. The fashion industry and my model agent did not know I was trans. So I figured, how do I even share this with my agent? Let me just make and, and pick up that phone call. And I picked up that phone call and I said, Ron, I need to tell you something. I, I'm doing a TED talk. I'm coming out. And he said, oh, coming out as a lesbian. <laughs> I, I, I commend you. I honor you. And good for you, Gina. And I was like, oh, my God, I need to say this now. Actually, Ron, I'm coming out as a trans woman. And it was probably the longest three seconds of my life waiting for that next word to come out. He was like, you know what, Gina, you've been a great model for us. I commend you. I honor you. I respect you. I'm proud of you. Do it.
0: So when you were thinking you were planning your big coming out at the TED Talk, you did have this fear that coming out would really end your modeling career. So going into it, what did you think you were going to do afterwards? We all know the power and, and prestige and
3: obviously the, the, what TED Talk does and the role it plays in cultural zeitgeist. So knowing the possibility of it could go viral or it could be like a significant talk, my dear friend Ali Hoffman and I figure, okay, if this talk does well, like what are we going to do? And I knew I wanted to start an, an advocacy campaign. And so how do we harness that Ted talk? We figured, okay, we're going to start the advocacy campaign called gender proud advocating for trans rights, particularly uh, gender recognition policies that allow trans gender nonconforming people to change name and gender marker on legal documents. And also as a storytelling platform, as a production company to, to humanize the stories behind statistics and policies, right? But when my TED talk came out, when it was released about a week, 10 days after my talk on March 31st, 2014, coincidentally in International Trans Day of Visibility, that talk went viral, So next thing I knew, you know, I was in every talk show. Like I was invited by United Nations to speak about my story. President Obama's State Department, you know, reached out. They know my story. UNDP reached out, you know, but I certainly understand why, you know, because I have a global migration story. And I think even at the time, you know, like trans conversation was very new in people's mind. So... I was able to do that and travel the world and, and, and advocate for trans rights. Thank you so much for coming. My name is Gina Rosero. I am the founder of Gender Proud. But let me start by saying that I am a very proud woman of trans rights. This
2: dialogue on gender diversity beyond binaries is the first ever meeting of its kind at the United Nations. Member states, UN entities and activists share their thoughts and experiences on the current state of LGBTQI+ rights globally. Among the panels were two prominent transgender Pinoys. Poet Kay Barrett talked about everyday life for trans. I'm real transgender
3: rights advocate Gina Rosero talked about the state of LGBTQI+ rights in the Philippines. That being trans in the Philippines is culturally visible but not politically recognized. There are still no rights for trans people to exist as we are. We can't change name and gender marker. There are no legal protections for discrimination. Rosero said it was tough to hide who she really was. I'm truly grateful for this honor to be able to continue my work of increasing trans inclusion and to be on the board of the center. I am very proud of that. Traveled to Thailand, traveled to Hong Kong, traveled to... Colombia traveled to, you know, Thailand a couple of times to to Sydney, Australia, to speak about trans rights and to advocate for this. So I did that for two years. Mm. It was incredible. It was a full circle moment. I was still modeling, but most of my focus was this advocacy, gender proud and advocating. And two years of doing that, it was exhausting traveling the world. But the artist in me was also craving expression. You know, I'm a performer at heart. I'm an artist at heart. I'm a storyteller at heart. I was craving the need to tell more stories. So I was like, Let, let's really do this production company that we wanted to do. Let's mm-hmm. start a production part of the of Gender Proud. So and we did that and producing stories and centering stories about trans people, trans youth, tackling issues head on, but putting narratives behind that.
0: Yeah, you know. So what do you think is one thing, and I, I ask this question of all of my guests, but what do you think is one thing that at the time you felt like it was a real low moment and now in retrospect, you see it as having really positioned you for the successful person you are now? I would say is it's
3: the time when I was modeling in New York City. You know, it was a dream to to model. The deeper side of that was really traumatizing. But the craziest paranoia of having to live that was, was really dark. You know, in that outer shell of magazine covers, billboards, advertising catalogs, all of that was great. But the deeper internal conversation was dark of having to navigate that was, was a dark moment for me. And now I really see it, what I went through as all of that high stakes moments of, of having to go through that of projections of life, of really not knowing if there's a tomorrow that I could get through this was all the things that I needed for me to get through. Even when I'm going through something right now, I, I would look back in those moments and say, you did that, girl. Yeah. You could still do it. It was the spirit of horse Barbie because I needed to be reminded of who I am in the Philippines and able to get through this difficult moment in my life.
0: Actually, can we go back there? How did you get that name, Horse Barbie? Where did that come from?
3: Horse Barbie is the title of the book. It's also a spirit, I'd say. But it started when I was joining pageants in the Philippines at 15 years old. I became the biggest trans beauty queen right away. So the competitors teased, taunt, called me names. But one of the most hurtful thing was they called me that I look like a horse because of my dark skin, my long neck, my protruding mouth. And of course it hurt. But then one day I was on stage, my pageant manager, my trans mother, Tiger Lily, saw me, the way I moved, the way I walked. And she said to me after I got off that stage, and she said, you know, I was looking at you, the way you pause, the way way you carry yourself, the way you stand, you look like a horse Barbie. So I say Horace Barbie is also a spirit because it's that essence that she identified when I was 15 years old on that stage. It's that essence and then that spirit that I carried with me as I moved to America. It's that essence and that spirit that I carried with me as I started modeling. Looking back to all the things that I've done and all the things that I've gone through, whether all the little pivots in my life and the relationships and achievements and dream making, all of those things. Horse Barbie is the one through line that, that got me through as the spirit and that as an essence, I would always be horse Barbie. I will always be that.
0: Thank you so much. Oh, no, thank, Gina. You. thank you. Thank you so much to Gina for an inspiring interview to celebrate pride month. Gina's book, Horse Barbie is out now and is truly a work of art. Be sure to pick up a copy and dive into Gina's full story. You can also follow Gina on Instagram at Gina Rosario to stay up to date on everything she's doing. We heard a rumor that her book just might make it to the big screen. I want to take a moment here to recognize the attack on trans rights that we are seeing across the country. Right now, there are 474 anti-LGBTQ bills that have been introduced in states across the country. This rhetoric is dangerous. Trans Americans are four times more likely to be victims of a violent crime, not to mention the mental toll this takes on trans and non-binary people. I hope in hearing a story like Gina's, we can better connect with the trans movement and move the dial towards acceptance. If you're able to give, please consider donating to support trans rights. We have links on our Instagram at ShePivots the Podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of She Pivots, where I talk with women about how their experiences and significant personal events led to their pivot and eventually their success. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at ShePivots the Podcast and leave a rating and comment if you enjoyed this episode to help others learn about it. A special thank you to our partner, Marie Claire, and the team that made this episode possible. Talk to you next week. She Pivots is hosted by me, Emily Tish Sussman, produced by Emily Eda Velocik, with sound editing and mixing from Nina Pollack, and research and planning from Christine Dickison and Hannah Cousins.
3: I
2: endorse She Pivots. Right Rug Flooring.